I want to ask you a question as we get started. Um, have you ever smelled, but you didn't know it? Like, I mean, your breath or little B.O. action, you know, just, but you didn't know it. But then somehow or another, it kind of was brought to your attention. Um, when I was younger, I had a paper route. I gave it up last year. And <laughs> but as a paper boy, uh, I hated to do the collection. I had to go to the houses and collect the money and then t- turn the money in. But I hated collecting the money. Um, once, um, there's a couple of reasons why I didn't like it. Number one, I didn't like asking people for money. That's, and I still don't. The second one was that many times when I was collecting, I had to go into their houses while they looked for their purses or whatever to pay me. And I remember one lady in particular, I always really dreaded going to her house to collect because she was a hoarder. Now, she was a hoarder before they ever knew about what hoarders were. All I know is that I would walk into the, the, the side door, which I think was her dining room. I really don't know what room it was because there were things stacked to the ceiling. I mean, it would, there were like aisles around. And she would have to go look for her purse to pay me. And the other part of it was it was strange, but it was also... The other part that was hard was it smelled a lot. She had between 20 and 30 cats. They were all over the place. It was, it was one of those times where you just, you kind of knew this is not going to be good. And, and, you know, I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this weekend and I was thinking, if, if I had just one day when I was collecting said to her, do you smell something? She would have said, no, what? Because she had become accustomed to the smell of her house, as we all do. And that's what the way our brains work. Our brains are designed to acclimate to the smells so that we can notice new smells easier. If we never became acclimated to the smells around us, then it would be almost it would be very hard to smell new things such as food or flowers. So because our sense of smell uh, is uh, is uh, basically we acclimate to it, then when new smells come, we say, hey, that's a new smell. It could be good or bad, you know, right? Um, So just as we become acclimated to the smells around us, our house, the people around us, whatever, uh, for good or bad, we can also become acclimated to our culture. And sometimes we become more acclimated to our culture than we actually should in a bad way. Uh, and, and that could be a good thing. We can become acclimated in things that are better. But generally speaking, what we're talking about is sometimes we become acclimated to our culture so we don't even notice. We smell like our culture more than we ever thought. So I want to talk a little bit about the passage we're going to look at this weekend. You know, we, I'm teaching through the book of Genesis, and Mark did a great job uh, on Genesis 18 last weekend, and we're in Genesis 19, and that's the problem. The problem is I should have left this weekend, and I should have let Mark preach this passage, because this is one of those passages that you would never choose this passage 
Not if you were in your right mind. You wouldn't choose it. Because it's got a lot of stuff going on there, a lot of controversy. It's, it's, it's a challenging passage. Um, secondly, many people use Genesis 19 as a proof text to condemn homosexuality. Now, I think it does have something to give light to that whole discussion. But uh, I don't believe that it's the, the final say on the subject of homosexuality. And really, that's not the purpose of the chapter, as we'll see in a minute. Also, sometimes, and I think I've said this before, that many times the New Testament will have a passage or two that will shed some light on the Old Testament, which helps you interpret the Old Testament. Sometimes the Old Testament will do that for the New Testament. Well, the, the good news is that there is a passage in the Bible, in the New Testament, it speaks on this Sodom and Gomorrah, specifically Sodom. The bad news is it doesn't help. In fact, it makes it even harder. <laughs> okay. Now, the old, and I've said this before, the Old Testament many times, it just tells you what happened. It doesn't give a commentary. It doesn't explain that was right, that was wrong. It just says this happened. That's what's going to happen in our passage. So I, I think I prepared you enough to look at the passage and you, some of you are already there saying, wow, yeah, this has got some stuff in it, man. Where are you going to go with Yeah, you're right. You're right. Genesis chapter 19. This is on page 14 of the chair Bible. If you have a chair Bible or you don't have a Bible, the chair Bible is a good source because uh, that's exactly the translation I'll be reading. Genesis 19, page 14. I'm going to read the first 10 verses and then we'll talk. That evening... The two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Now, that evening means this is chapter 18 where Abraham is praying, you know, asking God to spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. He went through, would you do, would you destroy the city for this many people? And then his number gets smaller and smaller and smaller until finally, you know, okay. So that evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home to wash your feet and be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. Now, that is a tip that they know kind of how bad Sodom is. It's like, no, we'll stay out here. It'll be fine, really, you know. And it's almost like they're playing with, uh, with uh, Lot. But Lot insisted, so, they, so at last they went, with, with, went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, uh, complete with a fred, fred bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came out from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so that we may have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged them, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with them as you wish. But please, Lee, I told you, didn't I tell you? This is... This is tough stuff. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came down, 
came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged towards Lot to break the, down the door, but the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. All right. Where do we begin? Well, I want to make a statement uh, about uh, what the Bible has to say, and this is just a very general statement about the, what the Bible has to say about homosexuality, because I think it's, it's a hot topic in our culture, and I don't have time to delve into it, but I do need to delve into it a little bit, because our passage in Sodom and Gomorrah, or sodomy, is ultimately where uh, that idea comes from. Uh, basically, the Bible must always be allowed to speak to our culture. We must never allow our culture to dismiss the teachings of the Bible on any subject just because the, our cultural norms are changing. Okay, That's the first thing. That our final authority is not our culture, it is the Bible. Secondly, Genesis 19 does not directly speak on the subject of homosexuality, but it does shed some light on it. Homosexuality was only part of the moral problems in Sodom. Sodom was condemned not just because there was homosexuality practiced, but because there were other things going on. For example, Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 48 tells us there was more going on under the surface. As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, this is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 48, Sodom and her daughters were never as wicked as you and your daughters. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. While the poor and needy suffered outside her door, she was proud and committed detestable sins. So I wiped her out as you have seen. So there was a lot going on. This is just one issue. The Bible, if it's read normally condemns the practice of homosexuality, but it also condemns the practice of living together. Now, it's really important. Uh, the Greek word in the New Testament, pornea, is a reference, and it's used for homosexuality, and it's used for any... Here's what uh, pornea means in the New Testament. It's any, sex, any sexual activity outside of a committed marid, marital relationship between a man and a woman. So that means that would be homosexuality. That would also mean uh, two people living together. Now, we're much more likely to condemn homosexuality than the other. In fact, we almost in our culture, basically, well, for both now in our culture, but in the Christian culture, we say, well, that's a little sin, but this is a big sin. In the Bible, it doesn't make a difference. It says uh, both of those are, are inappropriate. In the end, it's not okay to blow off the clear teaching of the Bible on subjects like homosexuality or living together. Just because our culture says it's okay doesn't mean that we do that. We don't get to determine which part of the Bible we will obediently follow. Now, what's Hope's church, Hope Church's role in all of this? Well, it's this. Hope Church exists to assist as many people as possible find the freedom and forgiveness that only Christ can give. That's our role. That's what we're all about. Uh, only Jesus can bring that true freedom. And we want to help people begin a journey with Jesus. That's what we want to do. It's not our job to change you. That's up to God. Our job is to show you what God's Word says and allow you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit. That's what our job is. My job isn't to, cha uh, isn't to change you. I don't have any reason or any authority to do that. But I have the authority to teach clearly the Word of God. But please understand 
and this is the main thing that you should get from this, that our, 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 our authority, our main authority, our standard of operation is not our culture. It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. All right, so that's enough of that. Let's get to our passage. The first thing we see is the slow and steady slope of sin. In Genesis 18, Abraham is pleading for the city of Sodom. And it's almost as though as you read that chapter, you're thinking, God, you know, Abraham is trying to convince God. And really, when you read through the chapter, you realize it's not Abraham's trying to convince God. It's God is trying to convince Abraham. He's trying to show Abraham, Abraham, it's a lot worse than you ever thought. This is a bad, bad city. There's a lot of bad stuff going on here. It's much worse than Abraham had ever thought. And I believe God was showing Abraham that he knows what he's doing and his judgment is always just. His judgment is always just. Now, from our text, it seems like Lot had become some kind of a leader within the city. He's greeted by these visitors. He's sitting at the gate and sitting at the gate is a kind of a euphemism. It's kind of a a picture that says that when somebody sits at the gate, it's because they are uh, have some sort of of authority. They have some sort of of uh, prominence. But he's sitting at the gate. He greets his visitors at the gate and immediately he gives them shelter. And he does this because he knows they're in danger. He knows they're in danger, so he, he immediately finds them shelter. He knew how wicked the city, his city, had become. And up to this point, up to this point, as you read the text, he seems like a pretty righteous guy, right? In fact, this is the passage that where he said in the New Testament that he was a righteous man. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7. God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Remember when I said that sometimes the New Testament passage will help you interpret the Old Testament passage? This isn't one of those times. If this passage wasn't here, we could throw we could throw Lot under the bus and say he was a dirtbag, right? But Scripture says he was a righteous man. So what are we going to do here? How in the world could Lot be seen as a righteous man? He offered his virgin daughters to the mob. Are you kidding? Right? Now, I've been wrestling with this passage for a lot of years, but specifically for the last few weeks. Here's some of the solutions that are out there. Okay? How do we, how do we harmonize Lot being righteous, but also doing some of the things that he did that you go, this, this doesn't describe a righteous person. The first thing is that Lot offered, and this is one of the solutions. Lot offered his daughters knowing they were engaged to men of the city. The mob would quickly reject this and, and they would, uh, knowing this, they would come to their senses and they would say, listen, let's just, let's leave. That's one of the solutions. They would see their behavior as reprehensible and they would disperse. I don't know why I think about that. The second one is this. Lot was uh, following the cultural customs of his days in offering protective protective hospitality. So in this view of hospitality, the care and the safety of the guests was even more important than the care and safety of your own family. Now, I read this and I... You know, a lot of this one in this, I'm sorry, 
I have a real problem with this, and I don't think that, I don't care how bad the culture is, it seems to me like this isn't a good solution. It seems to me that no matter what culture in the protection of your family is going to go over, you know, any protection of a stranger. And, and, and if it is true, it's messed up. I'm sorry, it's just messed up. Some think, that, and this is a kind of an attractive solution, but that what Lot was saying is something like this. He was being sarcastic. So he was saying, well, if you're so hell-bent on violating these guests of mine, why not violate my virgin daughters, too, while you're at it? In other words, he's being sarcastic. Well, if you're going to violate them, why don't you just, hey, I'll throw my daughters in. Why don't you do that, too? In other words, he's saying, are you kidding? Are you, you know... And that seems okay, you know, but I think it's still a stretch. So what is the solution? Well, I don't know. I don't have a good answer to how to harmonize this passage. Here's my best attempt, though. And I think it flows with the passage. Lot is being transformed by his community rather than influencing it. He was bothered by what he saw and what he was what was taking place, but he was also being changed by Sodom. Lot was seen as a joke in Sodom by the mob. He's a joke to them. By his sons-in-law, they don't respect him. They have no no respect for him. Here's the point. I think Lot at the same time was offended and allured by Sodom. He was offended and allured by Sodom at the same time. And you know what? The same is true with us. Uh, He had the stink of Sodom all over him. He was being transformed by Sodom. He came to a dark place where he would disrespect his daughters and it would come back to bite him. And we're going to see that in a little bit. The same can happen to us. We can take on the stink of sin without knowing it. Paul warns us about that in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, he says this in verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, what Paul is saying is we are all in danger of being molded by, you know, putty. We're being like, like putty can be molded. We're in danger of being molded by this world that we live in. And he says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, sin has a way of luring us in in, uh, until we come to a place and say, how in the world did I get here? We begin to smell like sin. Let me ask you a couple questions, and maybe this will... Help you see. I believe at the same time that Lot was appalled by his city, but he was also attracted by it. And I think we can be too. And I think that's the danger. Is it possible today that you're doing things that just a few years ago you would have found unacceptable? Are you more judgmental of others and their lifestyles than you are of your own? Is it possible that that you're judgmental of people and their lifestyles and you're doing kind of the same thing? Do you routinely engage in behavior that you would never want your children to copy? Are you? You can ask your kids. Sure, they'd be glad to share. Here's the point. 
The slope of sin is slow and steady. And before you know it, you have the stink of sin all over you. And you don't even know it. And you're doing things that three years ago you would have said, how could I be doing that? How could I be thinking that? How could I be where I am right now? We need to allow the word of God and the assistance of his church community to help us see the stink of sin on us. If we're going to gain ground on righteousness, we need help. We need the word of God. That's why Paul says you have to transform your mind. By, you have to renew your mind by the word of God. And as you renew the mind, what it does is it wakes your, your senses up so you can see the stink of sin. And you can deal with it. Sometimes you need somebody, a friend, to say, hey, you know, you got bad breath. I mean, it's bad. I mean, come on. Take a mint. Chew some gum. Brush your teeth. See the dentist. You know, and what I mean there is you need a friend that loves you and can say to you, you got the stink of sin on you. Do you see that? It is all over you. Have you ever, have you ever been eating a meal and somebody has like a piece of food on their lip that won't come off and it's driving you crazy. What do you do? Do you say, hey, you got food right there. Get it off. It's creeping me out. It's bad. You know, no. You, or you just go, well, maybe it'll fall off or I don't want to embarrass them. Do you have somebody in your life that can do that? Do you have are you in the word of God so that the stink of sin is being revealed in your life? So that's the first one. Secondly, the irony of of, uh, Lot's virgin daughters. It's my view that Lot offered his daughters to the men, not in an ironic way, but in reality. I don't believe he's being sarcastic. I don't believe he was saying, hey, you know, if you're going to take them, why don't you take my daughters? Come on, what are you doing? No, I think he was seriously offering them. There was absolutely no justification for his actions. This is tragic, it's morally reprehensible, and it's a clear example of child abuse. And we don't have time to go there, but when you read the end of the chapter, here's what's going to happen. They're going to flee the city. Lot and his daughters and his wife, they're going to flee the city. His wife, it says, look back. And it's more than that, because if you read the New Testament, it seems like Jesus is saying she didn't just look back, she went back. So it's Lot and his daughters, and the city is destroyed. They end up in a cave. And his daughters, his virgin daughters, that he offered to these men, they get him drunk. And they sleep with their father. You want to talk irony. Think about this. It was Lot who took their virginity, not the the mob. And it probably was because of the way they were treated by their father. It's appallable. Now, from these two daughters, they gave birth to Moab and Amnon, who became the Moabites and Ammonites. Now, these are great people. The Moabites would lead Israel to into Baal worship on the way to Canaan. But the Ammonites and the Moabites hired Balaam to curse Israel as it journeyed towards the promised land. And they were forbidden to enter the Lord's assembly. So they turned out bad. And it goes back to Lot. It goes back to how he treated his daughters. 
And he goes back to living in a city that just totally decimated him morally. How is he described as a righteous person and do these things? And the answer is, I don't know. All I know is that he was appalled and allured by Sodom at the same time. Here's the the third thing, and this is where we're going to close. We have the misguided hospitality of Lot. Now, as I stated before, hospitality was a serious matter in the ancient world. In last, it's interesting to see this because you see when the, these visitors visited Abraham and Sarah, what's the first thing that Abraham and Sarah do? They, they welcome them. They prepare a meal for them. This hospitality, right, is going out. The same thing happens when uh, these visitors come to uh, Sodom. Lot shows hospitality. He shows protective hospitality to his angelic visitors until the wheels come off and he offers his daughters to the mob. Now, that offer was never taken because the visitors were blinded by an angry mob helping the family to escape. 2,000 years ago, a little more than 2,000 years ago, a father offered his son, his only son, to an angry mob. And they took him and they crucified him. He was innocent. He was a virgin. He was innocent. Jesus got off his throne. He entered into his own world only to be attacked by an angry mob who took him and crucified him on a cross He was not just offered to the mob. He was destroyed, destroyed by the mob for you and for me. John puts it this way in his gospel. This is on page 809. He came, speaking of Jesus, he came into his very, into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. You might say he entered into Sodom. (laughs) Jesus' world was perfect. He created a perfect world. And then it became like Sodom, so to speak. He came into this very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You see, here's the thing. God is ready and willing to take you in, to place you under his protective care, to show you his heavenly hospitality. When you call out to Jesus by believing and accepting him as Savior, you come under his protective care. This new life doesn't come to us because we do anything. It's all because of what he did for us. That's so important to understand. So many people think, if I can just be good enough, if I can just believe the right things, if I can just be better than most people, and you have to just drop that and just say, no, you're a sinner, you're lost, you're in Sodom, and you need protection. 
And God offers you protection. If you'll call upon him, if you'll put yourself under the protective care of Jesus, then he will keep you, he will take the wrath that you deserve, you deserve and he will give you the, the, uh, the life that you don't deserve. And, and that's really the way it goes. So let me ask you a few questions as we close. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Have you called out to Jesus? Uh, what are you waiting for? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? A better offer? <laughs> because there isn't one. Why not trust in Jesus today? Why not today? And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's what Jesus says to you and to me. There's a lot of things in this chapter that I don't understand. One day in heaven, that'll be explained. But it's hard to understand now. I want to throw Lot out and say he wasn't righteous. He was a really bad person. And I think he was. But somehow he was still righteous. And I don't understand how that works. But I do know how it under, works in me. Because sometimes I do and say bad things. And yet I'm still righteous. Not because I've done anything righteous. But because Jesus did something righteous for me. He gave his life for me. So at the same time, I'm a sinner. But I'm forgiven. So maybe that's what it's talking about. I don't know. The point is, every one of us. Now, this is going to be your thought that you're going to leave with and you're going to feel so good about it. Every one of you stink. We all stink. We all have the stink of sin on us. But we have a Savior that came and he gave himself to the mob, to the angry mob. And he was executed for you and for me. And he has given us a, le- a way out so that not only can we lose the stink of sin, but we can find the fragrance of heaven. We can be under his protective care forever. And that's the truth of this passage. That there is hope for the worst of sinners. If Locke could be called righteous, I think we got a chance. So how is it going? How's that stink of sin going in your life? If you would do me a favor and just bow your heads, I want to just lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to have a baby dedication. So let me lead you in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this story, for uh, what we've learned It may be there, there's someone here this weekend, Father, that uh, in this room that they've never placed their faith in Christ. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to... Uh, maybe they haven't really thought about it very much. I don't know. But there's, they've come to a place where they realize they're drowning in sin. 
the stink of sin is not just all around them, it's on them. And they need to be set free. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came as a rescue party of one. He dove into his world to rescue us. And it cost him his very life. So, Father, your word tells us that when we call upon your son, we will be rescued. We will be found. We will be saved. And it may be that someone here today wants to trust you as savior for the first time. And maybe these words in their own hearts and minds would be a reflection of what they want to do. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to the angry mob. And that Jesus willingly went out the door of heaven to earth. And was taken by the mob, placed on a cross, and executed like a common criminal. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our place. Thank you, Father, that your word tells us that when we call out to Jesus as Savior, not only does he forgive us, not only are we under his blood and under his cover, but we are set free from the power of sin. That we can say no to sin that we can maybe for the first time smell the sin on us. And your word helps us. And your church, your faith community helps us. Our friends help us. But Jesus, today, today is the day that I give my life to you because Jesus, you gave your life to me. And I call out to you as my Savior. And I give my life to you. And I thank you for giving your life for me. And Father, if somebody prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody know, a friend, a family member, somebody, because they have begun a new journey with you, with your son Jesus. And everything from here on is going to change. Become new. For those of us, Father, who have prayed to receive Christ as Savior, We need help because we live in a culture that is dark. We live in a culture that justifies behavior that just 10 years ago people would have said, are you kidding me? And we could look at other people and point our fingers at others. But if we were really to look at our own hearts, we would see we have become So much like our culture. We are like Lot in many ways. We are so attracted by our culture. And at the same time, we're appalled by it. And we've allowed the culture around us to change our beliefs, our values. We need your word. We need your community to turn us back. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to deal with those areas that we've allowed to go dark. And thank you, Father, that we can come to you and ask for your help. Not only will you help us, you'll not only give us the ability, but you'll give us the desire because we need both. We love you, Father, because you first loved us. 
And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.